everyone, and welcome back to One of Us is a Filmmaker. We didn't even time that, but... Pretty good, though. It's pretty good. It's not bad. This is our last episode of the series. (laughs) Jiggy's crying. Yeah. Very sad. It is sad. Last episode of the season, but it's going to be an exciting one, I think. We're doing a special, so we're going to talk about a classic British iconic movie Mm. called Bend It Like Beckham. Bend It Like Beckham. Directed by the Gurinder Chada. The Gurinder Chada. The Gurinder Chada. Yeah. Well, who else is there? There's no director by us, that name. True. And then we're also going to talk a little bit about how I became a filmmaker, because mm-hmm. it does actually very much relate to the movie Benderlei Beckham, mm. which we will get into later. Yeah, sure. Bring out more of that filmmaking side, mm. you know, of the podcast. Yeah. You know, I've realised over these 10 weeks or whatever it's been. What's that? That you're like the critic and I'm like the filmmaker who'll give the trivia, who who can tell you about mm. what it's like filming on the sets, you know. That's true. And then you, but you're more philosophical about maybe the films and etc. We found yeah. our groove. I guess that's the groove, isn't it? Emperor's New Groove. That's coming. That is series. coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's one of my shadowing. <laughs> so, um, that's one of my Jiggy's all-time favorite films. Absolutely love it. You, I mean, for me, you got Blade Runner, Wish for the Heart. Emperor's <laughs> there, you go. there you go. I've also this season I haven't really I don't think I've revealed what my favourite films are. Obviously as we've talked about what yours are. Mm. I suppose you are, were very excited about the Taylor Princess Kaguya. That was that, oh, yeah. that's, that's up there. That's up. Yeah, but in it's not like my top three favourite. Oh, okay, okay. Films, okay. Like ever. Whereas those are your top three favourite basically. Yeah, those are those are pretty much my top three favourite. But yeah, I, I guess I don't know. I just don't have the filmmaking experience that you do, and it's nice that you can talk about that sort of stuff. That's all I'm here for. Yeah, pretty much, yeah, honestly. <laughs> That's no, all just... I'm good for. In my life. <laughs> just talk about filmmaking. Yeah, man. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bend It Like Beckham mm-hmm. is an absolute British classic. Well, yeah, it's classic. It's absolutely classic. Came out in 2002, mm-hmm. and I'm just going to give a very brief overview if, if nobody knows what the film is about. Yeah, go for it. It's about a British Indian girl called... Jess, who's 18, and she wants to be a professional footballer. She's amazing at playing football, Mm. but her parents, who are Indian, are more traditional and do not want her to pursue that career. Mm -hmm. And so it's her trying to find out how to balance her culture, her traditions, her family, but then also pursue her passions in life. Yeah. And that's essentially what the story is. You know, it's Mm -hmm. a coming-of-age British drama comedy you know, it's got some great lines. It's very, very funny. It's <laughs> very, very funny. I mean, for anyone that finds, you know, works by Gurinder Chadha, like Angus Thongs and Perfect Snogging funny, I mean, I think even Bender Light Beckham's like a step above that. Yeah, her other big, big film, biggest, I think, is Bride and Prejudice. Oh, uh, yeah. It's got yeah. some iconic musical numbers in it. Mm-hmm. I feel like Bender Light Beckham and Angus Thongs and Perfect Snogging, although, like, they are kind of like British classics now, they also kind of fall into a bit of like a cult following, I think. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Bender Light Beckham, I think why it was so incredible and is incredible as a film is just the fact that it was so unexpected. Mm. There hadn't really been a mainstream British Indian lead character led film that mm. was a comedy that did so well. You know, the budget was about £3.5 million, and it made, like, I know it made over 72,000, sorry, 72 million. 72,000? <laughs> yeah, that's wow, a lot. that's a big return there. <laughs> <laughs> made over $72 million in the box office. Probably paid for one cast member, 72,000. Yeah, no, yeah, 72,000 isn't very much money in terms yeah. of film. But, no, but... Um, it made loads of money at the box office yeah, compared yeah. to what a small budget it had, mm-hmm. and I know 
from what Gorinda said before, that it was a real big struggle to get that movie made, you know, to get the budget, to get the financing. It was a big headache. And, you know, so many times they were almost going to shoot the film, then they had to stop and, you know, go back to the drawing board. And well, oh, it's tough. Inter that's interesting because <clears throat> I could understand the struggles in the sense of acquiring um, financing because, like, I would imagine that, you know, up until that point, really nothing had come out like that. And I think people would have been a bit afraid to cast a lead brown girl, essentially. Yeah. Like, that's kind of... I, I would see why financiers would think, oh, this is a pushing the boundaries project, let's not get involved with this, you know, kind of thing. But I'm surprised that there were so many hiccups, like, during storyboarding and, like, the actual filmmaking process as well. It's interesting. I mean, it's actually... It's not really to do with the pre-production or the filmmaking per se. It is about financiers you know right, someone right, will promise okay. you money and then they'll drop out and then oh i see you need like gap financing this is all very technical stuff that mm -hmm. me i'm not a producer so i don't necessarily understand it as well as a producer could go into it right but it's just you know it's like a puzzle financing mm -hmm. and one thing moves it all collapses and also you know this is a film that didn't have any big stars in it so you know it didn't have those True. names to bring people in so it was risky mm -hmm. For, for financiers yeah. uh, but I mean I'm obviously very glad that they managed to get it made and it's really it's grown a few of the biggest UK stars yeah Kira Knightley obviously Kira Knightley is huge now yeah and she just so well. she got the Pirates of the Caribbean after doing this yeah, yeah you know apparently Jerry Bruckheimer saw Bender like Beckham and was like who's that girl yeah she should be yeah I mean to be fair I've in everything I've seen Kira Knightley in, I thought she's actually fantastic. She's a really good actor. I think she's a fantastic actress. One of, like, the best of our generation, I would say. Ooh. Easily. Yeah, that's a statement. I'm, I'm making a statement there. Yeah. I mean, well, I've just... You just look at across her entire filmography and it's just like, has she ever done, like, a bad performance? I don't no. think so. No, yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. And I mean, the other stars from... Bend it like Beckham are Palminda Nagra, who mm -hmm. played Jess. Yep. She went on to do a huge long stint in ER mm -hmm. afterwards yeah. and very successful in I think that. It was like six years, seven years. It might have even been a lot. It was yeah, a long yeah. time. And then she's still acting, she's doing good projects. Mm -hmm. Jonathan Rees Mayers, who played Joe, who's the football coach. He's he always just pops up in things, Jonathan Rees Mayers. <laughs> he was in a he was in big series, he was in um Oh, was it the Tudors or yes, Vikings? it was the it was Tudors. Tudors. It was Tudors, the Tudors, because yeah. I've watched some of the Tudors. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He plays very dark, moody characters, and I think yeah. he's quite an interesting choice for Joe as the football coach, because in Matchpoint, he plays this really sort of slimy, slinky, creepy guy. I quite like Matchpoint, actually. It's a good film. Well, there you go. Yeah. But he also has that sort of weird... The way he walks, even in Medellin Beckham, he's got that sort of slinky... He's not your typical, I guess, like, macho footballer no, coach I, guy. And they went for something different. I actually praise that they went for his casting because I think it's a bit unexpected. It was a bit unexpected. I, I don't know if it always works mm. uh, in Medellin Beckham. I think it could have been done better, but I don't think it was done badly by him. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and... Yeah, the other stuff I've seen him in, I agree. He's got, like, this weird sliminess about a lot of his characters. Yeah. Um, He's just very intense and very dark. Yeah, I think those yeah. are the roles he really likes, meaty roles. His, his face, like, as, as a look, right, is quite striking, I think. So mm -hmm. it, it does have that, like, you can either... It's sort of an intensity to it, I yeah. think. Yeah. So I think it is interesting. He was the, the strangest casting for me in Bend It Like Beckham. I think everyone else overall was cast really, 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 really well. 
Yeah, they've got great characters. So yeah. Archie Punjabi, who's a very successful, also well-known actress, um, she played Pinky, mm -hmm. which is Jess's sister. Yeah. Some great Indian actors are in the film as well, and British as well. Mm -hmm. Anupam Kher, who plays her dad, a very famous Indian actor. Mm -hmm. He's also in Bride and Prejudice. Wow. And um, Juliet Stevenson plays Jules's mum. Mm -hmm. Oh, she's very, hilarious. Which is, she's very She's fun. like... One of the best characters in the whole thing. You know, one of the most iconic scenes for me in the movie is yeah. when she's doing the offside rule with the salt and pepper shaker and the mustard. Oh, she's yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the dad's trying to explain it to her. Yeah. So offside? She, yeah. Onside. Offside? Because this is just after she thinks that Jules is a lesbian. So yeah. she's like, I, ha I must reconnect with my daughter to help her understand. Yeah. yeah. I mean, one of the things about Bendit Like Beckham is it seems to have touched on a lot of subjects in quite quite nuanced ways comparatively to many others at the time. And I, mm -hmm. I don't really remember seeing anything that discussed, you know, whether it's Sikhism or whether it's lesbianism or, mm -hmm. like, like anything like that. You just don't really, didn't really hear about that at that yeah. time. Yeah, and I think, like you said, there were nuanced ways that those things were put into the film, which felt handled well, mm. but they weren't, like, the main storyline or right. they weren't, you know, a massive focus. So, for example, Tony, who's Jess's best friend... Mm -hmm. He's a guy and he's, you know, we understand that he's gay and that he's afraid to come out to his parents and yeah. he fancies Beckham. <laughs> and it's not like a huge thing that's necessarily explored, but just having the representation of a gay Indian teenager. It's huge. It's massive, yeah. especially for that time. Yeah. I remember we studied Bender Like Beckham at school. It was always one of those. Really? Like, yeah, yeah. It oh, was I didn't know that. either in media A-level did we do it or it might have even been English mm -hmm. at GCSE because uh, it wow. was culturally and socially very iconic yeah i mean definitely and and it's i think part of what has made it become this classic and also a cult film i guess if you want to say that then it is is the fact that it was able to do this it's like a standalone in amongst all of british cinema right you actually had this one that was focusing on really different themes and it's done in a really cool way like to to mold all those themes together in this story about basically a young girl who wants to be beckham like, who wants to be a big football star? You know, yeah. like, it's an interesting way to marry all these things together. Yeah, and I think Gurinda was really passionate about telling this story of feeling torn between your British and Indian identity. And even though Gurinda herself didn't necessarily want to be a footballer or didn't have that direct experience, she knew what it was like to feel trapped between two worlds. And mm. that's what, obviously, is represented through Jess's journey in the film yeah. and done really well. And, you know, whenever before had you seen sort of a lead brown Indian teenage girl. Yeah. Well, I hope that Gurinder was able to, like, take something from making it, in a way. Like, I mean, her, her, basically, all of her films, bar Angus Thongs and Perfect Stogging, kind of have this, that theme mm -hmm. running through it, the kind of split between worlds. I mean, not yeah. as heavily as in Bender Like Beckham, but it's there. So I hope that, like, she's able to just take a bit of solace in her own filmmaking and exploring her own things. And I think as a filmmaker, like, as any artist would, that's the point of it. Like, that's the yeah. why you do... Yeah, your emotions and your own experiences naturally flood into what you're making. Yeah, even if you're trying to write something completely not based yeah. on your life, you will naturally just find that things that you've influenced you in, like, your story just gets in there. So. Yeah, and I think that's what Gurinder's really good at, is bringing that or organic feeling to the story. And mm. she's very good at weaving in real emotions and real things. So, you know, the part of the story where... Jess is afraid to wear the shorts because she has a burn on her leg. Yeah, she's got the burn from the beans on toast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that actually, the actress, Parminda, she actually had that burn on her leg mm -hmm. and her agent emailed 
Gorinda and the casting team being like, look, I know you've offered her the part, but we should tell you now that she's got this burn on her legs, let us know if it would be a problem. Mm-hmm. And Gorinda's like, of course it's not a problem. No we're problem, not gonna, mate. We're not going to not cast her <laughs> no because problem, of that. No problem, mate. Um, and so she sort of wrote into the film the story of mm. how she had the scar and it's actually the real story of how Perminda got the scar. You well, know? That's quite cool, actually. Yeah. I like that. I mean, it's sad that, you know, an actor would be afraid that having a scar or something would not let them get the role. Yeah. But I'm sure there are times, unfortunately, where things like that happen. But I suppose that's that's not even, like, um, anything to do with, you know, being an Indian person in cinema. It's just, I think any, any actor, mm. any actress would find, that, like, you know, any sort of abnormality, in air quotes, right, with your body yeah. or whatever, <clears throat> would cause you not to get something. So, yeah. Yeah. And Gurinder, it was a very personal film to her. She's actually, she has a lot of cameos in the film, so if you watch it, you'll see her pop up multiple times and she used a lot of family, family members as extras. Keeps costs down there, mm-hmm. you know, that's what you got to do. Yeah. Is when you're making a low-budget film, be like, um, how can we cut cut some money down? Yeah. Right, use my mate, use my auntie, yeah. there we go. I also think it's like, I think her writing that whole thing in about the beans on toast then, because mm. I didn't know this, that's really cool. I think that's actually quite brave of, and what's the actress who plays just Perminda. Perminda, thank you. Uh, gone from my brain. But it's actually really brave of her to do that because acting is about acting, right? Mm-hmm. And and portraying someone else and something else. But yeah. you, she was actually bringing her potential insecurities, maybe not insecurities, but potential insecurities and real story to the film. Which I, I just, I just really commend that. I think that's, I think that's really nice. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Also, a little fun fact about the movie is that it's the first Western-made film that was ever shown on TV in North Korea. I heard about this. Yeah, in 2010, I think it was. Fun little fact there. Why did I... I think it was to celebrate sort of diplomatic ties with the country having gone well for like the last 10 years at mm-hmm. that point. And, I don't know, it was just, it was chosen as as the film to share and... <laughs> yeah, great. That's so funny. <laughs> well, I suppose like... Although it does touch on reasonably heavy themes, mm. it actually doesn't say anything necessarily critical of like the West or the East or Korea. So I could understand why Korea would think this seems to be a non-offensive film to <laughs> our people. Yeah, you know? but there were there were certain taboo subjects like homosexuality, yes, interracial yeah, relationships, um, and you know the discussion about religion and things, which were all quite taboo. So. Mm. Um, but like like we were talking about, they're not they don't feel overt or like um, like the film has some agenda to push those things. It's just mm. f- into the fabric of the storytelling and you know their little nuanced moments. So I, I think wonder that's why. if that prompted the rise in football from North Korea because <gasps> North Korea were like they made it in Brazil's World Cup in the Brazil uh, no not Brazil sorry in um, South Africa that's where it was. Oh, when, didn't know that. Yeah, they, and it was really random. They were like the lowest ranked team ever to make it to the World Cup. That's sweet. And they didn't do very well. Well, and, it doesn't matter, you know. Yeah, and there were some not nice stories that followed. But oh. anyways, well, it's That's North Korea, different. isn't it? So, oh, okay. But, you know, but True. I wonder if Bendit Like Beckham spurred on them to maybe invest funding and training into getting better players or training up new players and getting to the World Cup. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the impact of Bender like Beckham on football generally is is really huge because think mm-hmm. about women's football 20 years ago is not what it is today. Yeah, true. Absolutely not at all. And, you know, the fact that both the main characters felt like they had to go to America to even have some sort of career, whereas yeah. now, good career here, good in Europe as well. So, yeah, it's really shifted and it, it's great that a lot of big 
male footballers got behind Bendelai Beckham at mm. the time. So obviously David Beckham, he said, yeah, you can use my name in the film. I want to support the film. I want to support women's football. Yeah. So that's great. And obviously you've got the pundits who make those yeah, cameos they're, in the they're, they're, Right at the start of the film, you've yeah. got like four different pundits that show up and Gary Lineker kind of takes a lead on it. And it's just really funny. Like, because I, I rewatched it fairly recently and I just thought like, the heck is Gary Lineker doing here? Like, as in, <laughs> it, it, it obviously makes sense because it's a film about football. But for such a low-budget film and for mm. such, an, such a film outside the mainstream, for them to get attached to that project, it's quite random. But also, yeah, it's just something I wouldn't have expected that yeah, they would want to sign on to. As in, it's a great achievement that they managed to get these yeah, people yeah, involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it, it was, obviously, Gorinda's passion in rallying people around, this is pro-women's football, this should be, you know, this will be culturally an important film. And yeah. Gorinda's a very passionate exuberant person so i can understand you know if anyone could get these people involved with the film it would have mm-hmm. been her yeah and it was so mm-hmm. you know kudos yeah yeah i mean that. really really well done and again like the film is great and from like a nostalgia point of view i've been watching that film since i was year years old i mean like we watched it all the time when we were kids yeah i've watched it over the years multiple times just whenever like it's just a film that's always been with me and i think I wonder if me seeing diversity on screen has never really caught my attention because I was so normalised by it because of that film. Yeah, exactly. And, and like, I, I just thought, well, it's just normal. Like, you know, brown people are in film, you know? like, But actually, for many others, that's not what they saw. And exactly. So, and I think, I mean, we're... So we're half Indian, so for us, like I said, seeing this sort of representation is really important. Yeah. And I had seen, I remember before, you know, not really seeing any anyone diverse on screen and, yeah, yeah. and growing up in a very sort of white area down in um, Hertfordshire slash Bedfordshire, wherever we were living at the time. We've got <laughs> we moved around a lot. Uh, but no, really, it was the first film where I was like, wow. And yeah, just yeah. good to have some representation out there. Thank and you very much. And it does matter. And I think it does. Like, throughout the entire series of One of Us as a Filmmaker, we've been talking about this, like, you know representation across cinema and you know we were celebrating so much everything everywhere all at once doing so well why is that well you have to think like people who watch these movies and they see people like them on screen that's inspiring Mm -hmm. that is that could actually change someone's life right and so it's really important that you're doing that and it's really important that not only are you doing that to inspire others but you're also doing it to tell people's stories you know, and not just tell one specific narrative of life, basically. Diverse people have diverse stories and they should all be shown. I just wanted to make that point because it's like, it's important. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. I love it. Yeah. It's very true. And um, like I said, the legacy of Bender like Beckham, it's obviously still a lot of people's favourite films. Yeah. A lot of people, you know, I think people could go back and revisit it and watch it as that sort of comfort food thing, which I talk about all the time. Just because it's so funny. Yeah, it's got some great lines. <laughs> should we talk uh, about the lines? I feel yeah, like there's some really some classic You're going quotes. to ruin the bloody video. <laughs> <laughs> which Gorinda said, apparently, that she used that because she, at her own wedding, there was a videographer who was like, Indian brides never smile. You ruin the bloody video. <laughs> ruin the bloody video. <laughs> oh, 
they're so good. I actually, that's my favorite. That's like one of my favorite. <laughs> I love it. She's like, she's got the sorry like around her face, like trying to do this. Hide the smile. Yeah, hide the smile. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. And there's um some classics which are like, who wants to cook Ali Gobi when you can bend the ball like Beckham? You know, that's iconic. Mate. Iconic line. Yeah. The one where she talks about her boobs being like. Uh, Mosquito bites instead yeah, of juicy, yeah, yeah. juicy mangoes. <laughs> juicy, juicy mangoes. Yeah. Because <laughs> she's doing the like um, bra it's, size. It's and a starry yeah, around. Yeah, that's yeah. it. And there's the, the bit where he comes out as gay to mm-hmm. Jess, the best friend. What's Tony. It? Tony, thank you. Where Tony comes out as, as gay. He does it in like a really like funny way. He's just like talking about how good Beckham is. And she's like, I wish I could be like Beckham. And he's like, yeah, I really like Beckham. And she's like, yeah, I do too. And he just goes... I really like Beckham. <laughs> Get the inflection. <laughs> yeah. Really and like. she's like, oh. oh. But you're Indian. <laughs> yeah, but you're Indian. <laughs> so, you know. Oh, yeah, it's that line when she's talking about who her parents are allowed to marry. She's like, Muslim, no. Yeah, like, Muslim, no. No, definitely not. Yes. Definitely not. Bless. There's that one which is like, so there was a scene where Jess gets called a racist term on the pitch and she kind of like starts a fight. And then afterwards what's the manager's name again um, joe joe thank you I, I i've watched it so recently i'm forgetting everything but joe you know yells at her in front of all her teammates because she started this fight on the pitch because of what he thought happened which wasn't actually what happened she got called a racist term but then she runs outside and starts yelling at him like why did you say that why did you say that you don't understand what happened and he was like yes i did she said no she called me and then and then he kind of stops realizes what's happened and she says you don't know what that feels like and he goes I'm Irish. Of course I know what that feels like. And and like I totally understand the there are similarities and Irish people get um They like, have prejudices Yeah, there's so, prejudices yeah. against the Irish in the in you know England in the UK. But it slightly felt a little bit tone deaf. <laughs> <laughs> Just doesn't quite work. But it's quite funny. There's also there's another bit of the film where um Actually, I'm just going to quickly throw in one of my last favourite quote is the one where yeah. she, Jules's mum says, get your lesbian feet out of my shoes. Get your lesbian feet. And then the, uh, the, uh, one of the Indian older aunties <laughs> says, lesbian? I thought she was a Pisces. <laughs> <laughs> that one always lands still. Yeah, it's the great. It's <laughs> like, just really funny yeah. stuff. But there's just a, the bit, the funny bit of the plot that I think either they, maybe they like kind of had to either cut out for timing or I'm not so sure, but there's the bit at the end where Joe runs up to Jess and is like, just realise like everyone's name starts with a J. Jess, Jules, Joe. I wonder if that was purposeful. They were just like, we love the Js. Let's throw yeah. them in there. Um, anyway, mm-hmm. off topic there. Yeah, Joe runs up to Jess and is like, I don't care about what your parents think. And then they kiss. They're literally only like two metres behind yeah, the parents. Yeah. And then she's like, We'll tackle them in the, like when I'm home for Christmas oh, yeah. or whatever. As in, as in, like they literally didn't like didn't see that. No, but yeah, but it might have been the case that they actually weren't looking because they might. No, have I seen... know, but they kissed for quite a long time. <laughs> I know. I think the idea yeah. is that they're like distracted by the fake Victoria Beckham and ben- David. Be- I mean, they're meant to be real, but obviously it's a fake. David Beckham. They, they couldn't get Beckham. David Beckham to show. No, they didn't. It. It's not actually him in that cameo. He's, he's but a little bit uh, busy. busy. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That would have blown the budget. <laughs> oh, yeah. can, I, can we pay you for this cameo, please? Although maybe been another three point five million. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Add that to the check. Yeah. Um, but I just that's for me is a tiny bit unbelievable that mm. they're sort of kissing for a fair bit of time behind, and also the resolution yeah. between like Jules fancying him and then being totally okay with them getting together but I, th- but, I mean those are just like little plot points that I think are like maybe not the yeah. most clear it doesn't matter it doesn't impact the film it's just something I was thinking about when yeah. I was rewatching it 
And I always remember the scene where they go to um, Germany to mm-hmm. play an uh, international match. And uh, then they all just get drunk afterwards. And there's this big... She walks... Hullabaloo. It, yeah, this big hullabaloo <laughs> where... Jess and Joe go outside and then Jules walks out and sees it. I just always remember Jules's reaction and just like, like iconic Kira Knightley face. It's, yeah, just, yeah. it's just really funny. Yeah, she wasn't happy. Wasn't Beth pleased? No, well, obviously not. <laughs> and then she's like, later on, she's like, you really hurt me, Jess. Yeah. In the winter of a month. So. <laughs> well, the movie did very, very well. It was very successful, mm-hmm. as we've said. It was even adapted into a musical. Oh, in was 2050. It? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember this. I've forgotten. <laughs> I, my... Memory of things is just... Uh, and obviously it established Grinder as one of the best British directors. Yeah, yeah. And still, unfortunately, today is really the only working British Indian director still at, yeah, that, t- at that level. Mm. Hopefully more to come, obviously. But it's interesting because I feel like Bend It Like Beckham helped spur on sort of more diversity on screen. Mm-hmm. But it seems like it's not translated into... Behind the camera. Yeah, behind the camera. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I mean, I think right now there's a really big push for trying to get more diverse representation behind the camera yeah. for sure, especially in technical departments. Right. But yeah, it's just something we we keep working towards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we can talk about why Bender Like Beckham links to me. Yeah, let's do it. I mean, this is becoming a, a filmmaker. This is the story of Cassia. I guess. Yes, because I'm sure you've all been itching to find out over the last 10 episodes how I became a filmmaker. Well, people have. I mean, well, it's, maybe. I think so. I mean, it's, it's interesting and it's it's kind of a cool story. Like, it's something you can tell people and be like, oh, that's cool, you know? Yeah. Weird. So, why don't you give us the quick version <laughs> of how you're linked to Bend It Like Beckham and Grenda Chudder. So, I was in Edinburgh at the Theatre Festival Mm-hmm. back in 2014 at the fringe at the fringe yeah, festival the fringe. yeah and i actually wasn't meant to get this train home our friend's dog was sick so she got a train early and she said to me do you want my train ticket for an earlier train than i was going to oh, get wow. and i said sure why not i will take mm. that ticket thank you very much and then while i was waiting on the platform i knew i wanted to get into filmmaking i knew i wanted to be a screenwriter and a director but I had no contacts in the film industry at all. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I genuinely, this is, I'm not even making it up. I genuinely was on that platform thinking, I wish I could just meet a film director or something like that. Interesting. And, and, then, and then behind me, I saw Gorinda walk past with her family. And I was like, I'm pretty sure that's the director of Bend It Like Beckham. So we went on the train. She was a carriage along from me. So I went to my seat and I was just Googling on my phone, Gorinda, Charter, Bend It Like Beckham to be like, is that? I'm pretty sure that's the yeah, director. Yeah. And then I was like, well, I have to go talk to her. I mean, I can't pass You needed this. to make sure before you went to talk to her. Oh, yeah. Well, I yeah, didn't yeah. want to be like, hello. And then... Are you going to tell No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be awkward. Yeah. And then I had to do the awkward thing. I, like, walked down the corridor into the next train carriage. Mm-hmm. I walked past her because she was sort of sat on the other side. And I thought it was a bit awkward to sort of turn around. So I went down to the other end, waited, like in the carriage after pretending I like went to the toilet or something mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, nice. for like, a few minutes and then walked back up organically past Gorinda this time mm-hmm. and then said oh, excuse me are you Gorinda Charter yeah. and she said yes I am and then I said 
something along the lines of, oh, you know, I love your films and I want to get into filmmaking, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Et you had to play the strategic game. I did, exactly. You know, before you before you jump in, you have to do this, the strategy of waiting, looking, yeah, no. slightly, <laughs> uh, very, subtly walking by. And, it was yeah. very detective-y, I think, I yeah. at the time. Um, basically, we had actually a really long conversation and, you know, in interjecting that conversation, she was asking questions like, oh, tell me your projects, tell me what you're writing. And I was like, whoa. And I was just telling whoa. her about all this rubbish that I, you know, had come up with or had written or short films I'd made. And after all this conversation, she we chatted for like half an hour and I was like, oh, I should probably leave you to be with your husband and kids. I mean, yeah. Who were just sat there listening. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was like, were they just sitting there the whole time? They were, they were just listening. I was like, oh, hi. Um... And then Grinda was like, oh, so what are you doing when you get back to London? And I was like, oh, I was trying to fish, but not too much, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, I'd like to work in film, but I don't really know how to do it. And then she was like, well, why don't you come work for me? And I said, all right. <laughs> yes, all please. right. I was like, oh, wow, really? And um, she wrote her email on, you know, a bit of paper. Yeah. And yeah, said bye. I took the email thing and went back to my carriage and kind of had to come down from cloud nine yeah i know literally i was gonna say you just sort of walk back to your seat and like uh is this real <laughs> like what just happened you i know. know what did just happen yeah. that was how i met Grinda, and that's mm-hmm. and then i went to work for her for about a year wow after that going is, back to london i mean what's really impressive about that is i mean it's lucky that you met Grinda charlie on the train but what's really impressive is that you went up and spoke to her i think so many people would be too scared or either too scared or think I don't want to bother them you know but it's not about bothering them it's just like you get one chance to do it if you don't Mm. do it it's it's literally gone you know yeah you you definitely have to sense the tone as well because I I think because it was it was a train from Edinburgh to London so I was like well she's not doing anything else (laughs) she's in a rush or you know or it's clearly like having dinner with you know with friends and it's good you're kind of locked in as well yeah no you're you're kind of locked in so well if you don't want me to talk to you there's nothing you can do about it it's like sorry my um children need me yeah yeah. if she she wanted to but she didn't you know yeah yeah. so clearly you did a good job of chatting to her and like getting her interest exactly and i think it's um i think every most filmmakers understand that it's a very luck-based entry point into the industry you know right. I try and give people the time of day people who reach out to me or whom I meet who are aspiring filmmakers because we all know how hard it is to break in and how it is a lot of the time just random and how lucky yeah it is unfortunately I mean yeah and I, I mean there people, should be better avenues for it really there should and I, I think that's what the industry is trying to work on mm. more generally but um yeah and then I worked for Gorinda for a year Sort of shadowing her, sort of assisting her. Mm-hmm. Grinda was great. She'd, you know, take me to a lot of parties to gate crash. <laughs> I was like, nice. Let's just come along. Like, oh, hey. Met some famous big wigs. Yeah. Yeah. But I was just trying to soak it all in and learn as much as I could about all aspects of, of filmmaking and just mm-hmm. the industry. Because she's so connected, you know. Like Yeah, and she was working on a lot of different projects. So I was working with her when she was doing Bender Like Beck and the musical. Mm-hmm. So I got to, you know, watch the main stars auditions and and that was really cool just to be a bit involved in rehearsals and see the show coming together mm-hmm. whilst seeing her work on film projects that she was working on she was working towards doing a film called Voice Royce House which she shot in India right in 2015 mm-hmm. so just at the tail end of when I worked for her yeah so I remember the poster for that actually oh, yeah. yeah it's got a uh, Hugh Bonneville in it I thought That's you were going to say Hugh Grant for a second. No. We missed that one. Yeah, we missed that one from the <laughs> last that episode. No. Uh, no. Hugh Bonneville. Yeah. That's his name, right? Yeah, it is Hugh Bonneville. The one who's in Notting Hill. 
Yes. Yeah. 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 She is. Yeah. And Paddington too. And Paddington. Oh, well, all both Paddingtons. Lots of Hughes, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great. Funny. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. It's really good that you had that like initiative to go talk to her, and then as well as not only going up to her, you said yes to taking the job. I think some other people might have been a bit afraid to do that. Mm. You know, it probably is quite intimidating. I mean, this is she's pretty well known you mm-hmm. know, and pretty big in the industry, so. You know, I mean, if that's the case, how did you find it working for Grinda? What what kind of thing, what was it like? Just really eye-opening. You know, I I had no idea, looking back now, what the industry was actually like right, in right. terms of, I just, basic things. Like, I didn't know you just, like, met people for coffee and talked in a more relaxed, informal way about projects and how a lot of meetings is just that and how you work on multiple different projects and, you know, you hope one of them happens there were multiple scripts that Grinda was working on or, you know, she was getting sent books and, and scripts to look at. Mm. And she threw me in the deep end. You know, she'd always ask me my opinion, even though I'd be like, I have no idea. Is this a good script? Is mm. it not? I'm just... But yeah, yeah. Grinda really taught me that it... Even when you're directing at any level or working with whoever, you know, nobody really has any clear idea. Like, <laughs> I think there's not, like, one specific way to do it. It's like, do you yeah. think the story's good? Do you think mm. it's valid? Do you think it's worth pursuing? You know, your opinion is very, is basically what filmmaking is. You know, do you like it told this style, this way? So, yeah, so there's, it was... There's no, like, expert, you know? No, exactly. And I, I really I was thrown very much into the deep end, but that was a great thing. And actually, I met a lot of amazing people. Mm. It really opened so many doors just to be able to tell people I, I can imagine. was working yeah, with Gorinda yeah. and how much I'd learned from that experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so, most people will not get that kind of opportunity. No. You know, and, and and like we said earlier, like people go to film school mm-hmm. a lot, but film school won't provide you that kind of opportunity, whereas just being in the environment will, you know, and being with such a big director. Yeah, you know. exactly. And I think that's why I've been really lucky to go up my career ladder as I have in terms of directing, because learning from someone like her, you can't pay for that. Mm-hmm. You know, I was um, exceptionally lucky. I tell people. Yeah, no, it definitely was. I mean, did you get to experience working with her on film sets or or not Not really? I didn't experience working with her on film sets because she went to go shoot Viceroy's house in India right. and I stayed behind and I actually had been doing sort of freelancing projects by then mm-hmm. and I was working on, on some other more indie films right. and that's where I got more practical on set experience. Mm-hmm. So I worked as a production assistant, yeah. did some ADing and things like that. The first few years of my career on some like indie features and shorts and things. But I was very much, I've always been like this. I was always pursuing more so my own projects and trying to just make them happen. So how did you go about then transitioning away from working with Grinda, trying to go into your own stuff? Like how, was that hard? Like how did that happen? I was quite lucky because Grinda really treated me as, as sort of a freelance person. So, right. you know, she'd always say, if you've got a shoot you want to go do or if you're doing your own project if you're filming someone or something or you've got some writing opportunity you know Mm -hmm. go take those she was very encouraging of me pursuing my own creative uh experiences yeah so it just kind of built on that and i just become busy enough that i could kind of sustain enough doing my own sort of projects while not working for her sort of Mm full-time anymore so how do you kind of you know moving on well if, if if we're going into your own projects now like how do you find the inspiration for the stuff that you write, for the stuff that you direct, for the stuff that you're associated with. Where does that come from? I think it's just naturally always been there. I think I draw on my own experiences, and that's not necessarily like my own stories or, Mm -hmm. 
practical experiences, but more about having dual heritage. I explore that a lot in my mm. my films or sort of female identifying stories, coming of age. Right. You kind of use yourself as inspiration yeah. and what you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. And I think I've always been very genre-leaning, so I really like films that are either sci-fi, horror, thriller, fantasy. I think naturally that's spilled over into the type of yeah. work I like to make and explore. Do you have any moments from working with Gorinda that you either, I don't know, found inspirational or maybe just moments that you just, like, remember, I guess? I mean, I think being in on the auditions for Bender Like Beck and the Musical is a very iconic memory I have from doing that. You didn't get to judge them, did you? Like, no, I, I was just there filming. Filming. I think everyone was like, who is this random girl that's in the room with us? <laughs> but Gorinda was just like, yeah, she's Cassia. She's, yeah, she's, she's with me. She's, she's with me. She's, she's with me. Yeah. That's all I need to yeah. say. Um, there was a very, very famous actor who uh, auditioned. Mm-hmm. Who, well, he, he might not have been auditioning per se, but he was doing the songs uh, with the lead. What's his name? Jamie Campbell Bower, that's it. Jamie Campbell Bower. So I've actually got his audition on a videotape somewhere. Oh, wow. Oh, he is quite famous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was there in his audition and a few of the other people's auditions. And I found that really fascinating, like how actors are auditioned and how the casting works with them and how the the director actually interacts with them in auditions. I know Mm. I've ended up working more, you know, film and TV, but still that interaction during audition process between director and actor was really interesting to watch. I really yeah. liked seeing how that unfolded. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, but I remember that very clearly. Yeah, um, I took a lot from that. Going back to your kind of filmmaking, mm. um, what aspect of filmmaking? Because you've been involved in, you know, being the camera person, being the director, and being the writer. Like, mm. what stage do you find? potentially the hardest or most challenging the stage of production yeah in 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 just creating a film what what role have you found you know most challenging or what aspect of filmmaking do you find to be the most challenging um i mean i guess like the boring answer is financing like getting your Uh, projects funded but in terms of creatively I think always pre-production is always a bit terrifying because you're kind of getting this new team of people together. You're feeling out how you, you're going to work. And with making films, you plan so much. You're kind of trying to plan for every eventuality, but you just know when you get to production, it's it's all to play for. Like, things are totally going to go wrong and things yeah. aren't going to go to plan. Right. So sometimes you're, like, trying to feel your way through the dark, but you're actually not going to be able to see until it's production. <laughs> That's really what I feel like pre-production is like. <laughs> That was quite a good analogy, actually. I mean, you wonder why people plan for so long for it to go wrong, but, I mean, without the planning, you wouldn't even get anywhere, I guess. No, exactly. And um, the planning is exceptionally helpful, but also filmmaking and directing in particular is problem-solving. Yeah. So you you kind of have to... It's like exerting a certain amount of control and patience and planning, but you have to have this duality of also being able to be very free and collaborative Mm. and think of things at last minute. Yeah. So you're always walking this fine balance of being be- sort of between two very different spaces. Right. Being very organised, very planned, very, I want it exactly like this, but then also being like, oh, cool, let's try this. Let's you have to roll become malleable it. at the same yeah, time. Yeah, it's, so it's hard. I think you have to have a very unique personality mm. because ultimately filmmaking is a collaborative process. And if you're too, it has to be exactly like this, actually it limits creative freedom for your crew, mm. for the creatives you're working with, and for yourself, you know. I don't always trust that I always know exactly what's best because sometimes 
happy accidents, happy little accidents can happen. Yeah, yeah, I mean, of course. <laughs> of course. As by but process. It's interesting because we talk about how... Um, it's a, you talk about how it's a collaborative thing, you know, mm-hmm. how filmmaking is collaborative and it requires a team, it requires good cohesion within the team. But really, people that watch cinema, the average cinema goer, all they hear is the director. Yeah. Know, like, and and the director the basically name. gets all the credit. But also for, takes all the flack if it's terrible. True. <laughs> double-edged sword there. It is, exactly, it's double-edged. <laughs> it's, it's walking on that tightrope. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, it's just interesting because I think, like, there's so many people that go into making a film. Yeah. And it is, whether, you know, it's good or bad, it is slightly a shame that the director is the only one visible mm. to people, you know, to people yeah. watching the film. You might occasionally get people interested in the writers. Yeah. Uh, this is other than, like, the cast, the on-screen. Yeah. But, like, you might get people knowing some of the writers or something, but you won't really get people knowing DP, no, you know, or sound or anyone like that, which is... Unfortunate, but... I mean, that's why there was a thing with probably the... I think it was the BAFTAs and all the Oscars about how people were really upset that a lot of the categories that weren't Best Director or Best Film were mm-hmm. always, like, aired off-camera or right. in commercial breaks. Because it's like, we're not getting that visibility. We're Obviously, you're saying we don't matter as much. <laughs> yeah, like, pretty much. No, we need to. Yeah. So um, I think there's been... People are trying to shift and change that a bit. But I always, one piece of advice I give filmmakers is really know who these people are working in film. So no directors, no writers, no producers. Get the no, knowledge up. But mostly because if you happen to see them walking around Soho or on a train On somewhere. a train from Edinburgh Fringe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> then at least you can go, you have a better chance of going up and talking to them mm-hmm. than if you had no clue. You know, a director could walk behind you in the street and you you completely oblivious. Yeah. If you're aware who these people are and you get that opportunity to see them, mm-hmm then at least you're well-informed and you can go talk to them. And I guess from, even from my experience, right, I I would say there are places you can go to increase your chances of seeing someone like that. Like Soho. Yeah, like Soho, like, or if it weren't film, for example, if you go to many famous actors who do stage stuff primarily, there'll be loads of, like, little restaurants and, like, bars hang and stuff. Hang around the Young out. Vic. Yeah, yeah, Young Vic. Vic like, I've met Vic. so many famous yeah. people at the Young Vic. Well, exactly, they're just sort of walking. Kim Cattrall sat on my coat. <laughs> you tell her, go away, mate. <laughs> Get off my coat. And she said, oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> nice little interaction there. Yeah, it was She said, oh, uh, I, I worked with Grinda. Do you want to collaborate? No, but I have actually <laughs> talked to other actors I've met there. Mm-hmm. Just um, just a little hello. Yeah. You do have to sense the tone. Like yeah. sometimes it's doesn't it's not appropriate, and I would hate it if it was clearly not the social time or situation. Mm-hmm. But if if the tone feels right and you know who they are, I'm particularly saying it's best to do it with directors, producers, etc., rather mm-hmm. than actors. If you want to be a filmmaker, because no. actors really aren't going to help you much. Yeah. But yeah, know those people, and if you go up and talk to them, a they're usually impressed that you even know who they are because mm-hmm. most people don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. And B, it shows that you're passionate about the industry, that you know film, that you have the guts to go up and speak to people. Yeah, no, definitely. From a director's point of view, because I know you've you've done lots of writing, but you've also directed some of your own shorts. How involved as a director do you need to be in the technical aspects of things going on? Like, how involved do you need to be with the cinematographer, the sound and lighting? Like, how involved do you need to be? Is it just give a vision or...? Yeah, so really all your job as a director is to be a great communicator. Right. And the thing I like to tell people, and people might get mad at me for saying this, is that I feel like directors should be the least talented people in the room. 
you're working with cinematographers who know cameras inside out. You're working with production designers. You're working mm. with all these amazing people who have exceptionally amazing creative talents, which I do not have. Right. I can't draw to save my life. I don't know the difference between this lens and this lens, you right. know, to the nth degree or whatever. It's my job to communicate a vision to these people and make sure they're communicating so it's a cohesive vision. Right. So, for example... I might give people a load of references and a mood board and be like, oh, Mm -hmm. these are references from other films or textures or pieces of art. And this is how Mm -hmm. I imagine the production design and the lighting coming in. And then you'll have conversations with your cinematographer and your Mm -hmm. production designer and other heads of department where you try and essentially you establish what that vision is. Mm -hmm. And then you let them go away and do their Mm-hmm. thing so technical information wise i always encourage directors you don't need to know things about cameras you don't need to know everything about different angles that will you all learn you know you will you're, because you're doing it all the time you're, you're around, around people, people you're yeah. around the language you'll learn it yeah if you if you have a good eye for story and character if that's what you're led by first mm. you can direct yeah. like honestly that's that's all you need and just communication is the most important thing yeah. I know, and listen to your gut instinct that's another very important thing yeah. <laughs> that I've learned to do well good I mean yeah I remember like when I did my brief stint on sex education um, here it comes the, again the, well, the films, <laughs> well the films that we were filming the scenes that we were filming it was really crucial that basically the director was the one communicating like in yes. between takes it would they basically require silence yeah definitely and again another thing I encourage filmmakers to do if they can is just get on set experience if you can you know be Mm. a shadow someone or be a runner or be an assistant because you just understand again how a set works and how actually the director's not really involved in what's happening on the day in terms of like the practical setups and things yeah their focus is story and character so speaking with the actors communicating to the crew what they want to happen and the crew go and does it Mm. so yes you just learn the on-set dynamic and and every director again works very differently Mm-hmm. So you'll have some directors that are very technical, that no cameras. I work with um, a director called Jim Field Smith, wonderful director, really lovely person. And he, you know, started his career working in camera departments. Right. He's very technical. He can be very specific with the camera and mm-hmm. things like that and communicate that very clearly. And then I work with another director called Claire McCarthy, super lovely, brilliant director as well. And she's an artist and she's very specific in terms of composition of the shots because that's right. what her eye goes to. Interesting. So every director is very different, whereas me, there are certain scenarios where I am very specific in terms of a type of shot or a composition, but mm. also I like to be very free and reactive to actors. So right. I like to use a lot of steady cam, a lot of handheld camera to move around the actors and be reactive to what they're doing. Do you think that stems from your experience in acting? Like you can see how they're thinking or like... I think for me, I'm very performance-led, so... The acting is entirely crucial, mm-hmm. and I, th- I like actors to feel very free. Right. And I think the camera reacting to them, letting them sort of go wild, as it were, that's a style I like for it to feel very natural and organic yeah. rather than very specifically placed, composed shots. Mm-hmm. There's time and a place for them. I do use them, and there might be certain scenarios where you really need to do that. An action sequence, for example, you have to plan that. You can't just right. randomly do it on the fly. Mm-hmm. But for very dialogue-heavy stuff or all well, just things between the actors, I like to be more free-flowing, and that's mm-hmm. my style. Yeah. You know? Good. Yeah, nice. You've already kind of given a couple, but mm. do you have any specific advice that you might give to either writers or directors in their specific roles? Because you, those are the two main things that you do, so I would yeah. say. So. I think the main bit of advice is just to keep working on your craft. Write as much as you can, 
just on your own. Make If you can make short films, and I'm not talking about hiring kit and working with a crew, but just getting your mobile phone. Jiggy knows, I've made some terrible <laughs> films with like two of my friends. I've been in a mate. He's been in them. I've like, been in a mate. When I was a teenager, I had this little camcorder or or I did use my phone. That was just, actually jokes though. Yeah, and I just made some like random mockumentary and then some really philosophical you know, shorts I thought were very artistic, but they were just random shots of me dancing in a street. Like, not, not highbrow at all. Um, but just being able to make those things, not even for anyone else to see, but actually yeah. just keeps your creative excitement up and mm. to sustain a career over such a long period of time as it requires in this industry. You have to remember why you got into it, why you like storytelling, why you like working with a camera, why you like these things. Yeah, so just you have making to love your own what stuff. you do. Exactly. So just be making these things. And then if you get the opportunity to meet someone, mm. pitch to the BFI or whatever it is, funding, then you have all this stuff to talk about. Mm. Like, yeah, on my own, I made this five minute short film that I put on YouTube and it got X amount of views and I learned a lot from it. And then for my next film, I did this differently or experimented mm. in this way. Yeah. And you just have things to talk about and your excitement will, you know, they'll feel it. Yeah. I mean, it translates not even into just mm -hmm. filmmaking. I mean, yeah. I, uh, here it goes. The, <laughs> I started a blog and, <laughs> and from the blog, I literally got like two jobs, basically. Yeah. So but I had something to talk about. I had something to show. Yeah. That's what I was interested in. That's what I do. The worst thing is I'll, you know, mental writers or people who want to be writers and I'll say, you know, what have you written? And they say, oh, I haven't written anything. But that blank face. Yeah, they're like, <laughs> so you're not looking I, haven't, for that. <laughs> I haven't written anything. Or, you know, I'm too scared to write something. It's like, if you can't have that belief in yourself to just get something on a paper, yeah, piece of paper, it's, it's really hard for other people to, mm. to feel that enthusiasm and that mm -hmm. passion for the practice. Mm. And I understand it, it can be really scary and daunting to do that, but mm -hmm. you just have to find a technique or find a way join a writing class or you know a support writing group or something there are place things out there that you can involve yourself with just so you can start doing it because if you don't write you're not going to get better yeah of course i've written so many scripts many of which are terrible that of which many i've read, yeah, which read. <laughs> i'm always there he's always there <laughs> they're just sat on like my electronic desk yeah you know on my computer mm -hmm. you know probably never going to be read never going to get made but they were worth writing because i've learn and grown from each one exactly yeah for sure i guess this is my last question yeah um you spoke earlier about meeting gorinda mm -hmm. and how you were waiting at the station going re ready to go on the train yeah and you said oh i you know at this point you were writing scripts you were thinking i want to get into filmmaking mm -hmm. has that always been there have you always wanted to go into film or was it something you discovered kind of later on or is it like it's always been there, but you didn't know about it kind of thing. Like, how how have you found your passion for film and filmmaking? I think it's always been there. And I don't think I've always been aware that that's what I wanted to do. Because right. I guess I didn't really know it was a job per se, the directing and the writing. If you don't know about it, it's it's hard to conceive of exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. One of my favourite films. So I am revealing one of my oh, all-time favourite films. Lord of the Rings. Da -da -da. There you go. <laughs> I went to see the first one when I was eight in mm. the cinema. And I was quite young. Yeah. For Lord of the Rings. Well, it was a PG, the first one, so there you go. And then they did 12As after that. I would have thought so after that one. <laughs> <laughs> PG. <laughs> but I remember seeing Lord of the Rings, the first one, and well, especially the second one. Mm. And I would just always imagine myself 
in the films and yeah. I would actually like add new sequences on in my imagination and mm-hmm. I realized that I was very um had a very overactive imagination and I had very intense like real life dreams but I always thought of things as films right and only when I got older I realized oh that's I'm literally building films in my head mm-hmm. I'm seeing it with specific shots I'm seeing specific colors you know with the music and everything very filmic mindset yeah, yeah. so it was it was something that i think's always been there but just the reality hit me of oh this is literally what i've been gearing up to do my whole life was when i was sort of at uni right and like wow this is what i find extremely natural because you didn't study filmmaking no uni. no i did drama instead yeah. which is very you know relevant especially yeah, to relevant, the acting side and the storytelling but i uh yeah, definitely realised as soon as I wrote my first screenplay. Well, it was even, over. Yeah, I was just like, <laughs> it was oh, over. I love this. And the funny thing yeah. is, is when I was at school, I always thought I'm never going to be a writer because I was always bad at writing prose. I'm still not great at yeah. it. It's a very different technique. And, you know, short stories at school. I was quite an academic kid, so I would still get good grades. You know, I'd get a B for writing a short story, mm-hmm. but usually I'd get, you know, much better. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, I'm just not good at writing. I'm not going to be a writer ever, 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 ever. Yeah, and then look what happens. But it, it's 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 such a different skill. It's like, very different. I so I, I write prose, you know, yeah. and I write reviews. The opposite. Yeah, we're literally the opposite. And I I think about trying to write like film stuff, but it's to conceive of direction through words, like you know, camera direction, um, and what you want environments to look like. But then also thinking about okay, what do people actually talk like? You know, what is dialogue? How do you actually write someone talking and feeling like this is actually a thing they would say? That's really hard to do. So, yeah, filmmaking is is really tough. Like, it, It's a tough life, it is. It's, it's, you have to love it. Yeah, and I mean... To stick with it. Exactly, and especially when it's such a volatile industry where you, exactly. you don't know when your next project is coming. Exactly. And the thing is, is you can love it and still, you know, not keeping going with it is also completely valid because of how hard it is. Yeah. You know, you can love it and just not get the right opportunities or, you know, hit hard times. And that's why it's so tough. And and you said it's luck-based a lot of it. You <laughs> it know? is very luck-based. And I've had some amazing opportunities. And, you know, they're all not entirely luck-based. Like, obviously, you have to prove that you're passionate and interested in mm-hmm. making work. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, for why does it swing your way instead of someone else's who's equally as talented, Nobody. has the same experience? It's luck. That is the luck part. Yeah. So, you know, you just have to stay grounded and focus on the work and the creative and the stuff you enjoy. Yeah. And that's it. Lovely, lovely message to end on. Yeah, exactly. It's... I hope you uh, all enjoyed listening to how I became a filmmaker. Yeah, uh, I mean... The movie really... that started it all, Bend It Like Beckham. Bend It Like Beckham. Gurinder Chadha, wherever you are. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and genuinely, maybe, big thank you. <laughs> maybe you should be listening to the podcast. Huh? Oh, maybe. Yeah. Hi, Grinda. <laughs> <laughs> What's up? <laughs> Sorry, Joffrey. Kim Cattrall. Kim Cattrall. <laughs> Get off my coat. <laughs> um, no, but I'm a little bit sad. A little bit. It's last episode of the series. That doesn't mean we might not be back. We, we, might. we might be back next week, to be honest. Well, we might be back next week. I mean, who knows? We ain't got much going on. No, no, no. Um, I'm but, the filmmaker here. Unless I get whisked away for something very exciting, I'm just, you know. True. How are we going to do more episodes when you're filming projects all over the world? What's going to happen? I don't know. You'll have to clone me. Remote working. (laughs) Remote working. Exactly. Yeah. But, I mean, we would love feedback on our first series. Mm -hmm. 
anything you want us to focus on more in the future if you want us to focus more on the filmmaking or just chatting about the films or anything else or pitch us some pitch us films ideas. to talk about yeah we're, we're so up for it um, we've still got many we're winning we've got a huge list of things so if there's any yeah. big hitters that we haven't hit in this first series believe mm. me they're probably coming season two yeah or three or whatever whatever and if you are liking our podcast please do rate us on spotify and apple podcast that helps yeah get a bit of visibility out there and thank you so much to basically everyone that's listened everyone that's given us a rating everyone that's supported us everyone that's you know messaged me saying oh this episode was really good yeah we really loved it or just message me and we just have a further discussion like (laughs) i'm up for it I'm, i'm always is (laughs) that's my new catchphrase from this season there you go I'm always is I love it yeah thank you very much for the discussion and thank you very much for listening to season one thank you and see you in the next series see you bye on the other side <laughs> Emperor's new group reference we do love them yes <laughs>